So today is Palm Sunday. We are closing out our series of messages because it's Palm Sunday. Our plan was not to be like this on Palm Sunday. If you remember two months ago, I said for eight weeks we are all going to get together in the same room. Remember? I made this big deal about us all getting together in the same room. It was all about being in the same room at the same time. And we're like, we're going to go eight weeks and then on March 29th, that's going to be our last Sunday to be all together in the same room at the same time. And then Palm Sunday, we're going back to two worship gatherings so that we can be ready for Easter and doing things like, remember what I said? Normal. I said, we're going to go back to normal. And then God just said, listen, I've got a totally new kind of normal for you. Uh, so we were doing something weird, and then we, it all got even weirder. And it seems like we have been playing, I, I tell you the truth, two weeks into our one service time thing, I had people asking me, how long is this going to last? Can we go back to normal? Because I had, I had children's ministry workers who were like, I'm, not all of them, but like a couple of them were just asking the question. It wasn't feeling right. It wasn't working for them. I had people in other groups who were just asking me the question, how much longer is this going to last? And they were playing a waiting game two weeks into that experiment. And now we're in a totally new kind of experiment. And it seems like all of us are in a, a real waiting game. How long is this all going to last? How long are we going to all be, you know, waiting around at the house? How long are we all going to be in the midst of this? Well, today I figured that we could address that issue by asking a big question, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? This is a question that a lot of us, when we hear it, we immediately react to it in some way. In fact, when I asked you that question, when I said, what are you waiting for? It's possible that you're saying, what do you mean, what am I waiting for? I'm waiting because I have to. I'm not going to work because I can't go to work. I have to wait until the plant opens up again. I'm not going back to school because I can't go back to school. I have to wait until the school goes, up, goes back open again. And maybe some of you are just thinking this question, how in the world could you ask that, Jeff? What are you waiting for? I'm waiting because I have to. Now, let me just remind you of something. That's the only time you ever wait, right? You only wait when you have to. You wait in the doctor's waiting room because you can't go into the doctor's office. You have to wait in the waiting room. You're waiting at the microwave for your popcorn because you have to wait for your popcorn. It, it takes its two minutes or whatever that microwave popcorn button does. And so you have to wait. So listen, today, I'm not asking the question of why are you waiting. I'm asking the question, what are you waiting for? In other words, what's on the other side of your waiting? What's on the other side of your waiting? A lot of us are in this impatient place right now where we're wondering how much longer do we have to put up with this coronavirus stuff? How much longer do we have to put up with all this weirdness? How much longer do we have to put up with seeing Jeff on a TV screen? How much longer do we have to put up with any of these things? And you're asking that question. And I'm asking you to ask yourself a new question, a different question. Not how much longer, and not why do I have to, but what's on the other side? What am I waiting for? The reason that's an important question is that it's a question that is dealt with many, many times in the Bible. I'm going to look at three things with you today where we are supposed to wait for something. 
I'm going to look at two specific passages where Jesus actually tells people they are supposed to wait for something, and one passage that we're going to tack on to the end. But start with me here. This is Jesus talking, and we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. It says, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the passages that we started this whole series with. We started this series, the very first week we read this passage because Jesus was promising the Holy Spirit to his people. He was promising the Holy Spirit to his followers. And we had to ask the question, well, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up? What's it going to be like when the Holy Spirit shows up? That's not the question they ask. When Jesus says, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit, they ask a totally different question. Their question goes like this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Restore the kingdom to Israel. This is, this is the question that seems to always be on the disciples' mind. How much longer do we have to wait for this kingdom thing to show up? How much longer do we have to wait for you, Jesus, to start acting like the king we all think you are? How much longer do we have to wait? Are you going to finally get it done? But notice what they said. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a very interesting question because, see, they're not asking, God, are you getting ready to establish your kingdom on earth? They're not asking, Jesus, are you ready to take up your throne and be the king? They're asking, Jesus, are you ready to give us our kingdom back? See, for them, Jesus is just a vending machine king. Jesus is still, even after all this time that they've hung out with him, they've seen him die. They've seen him rise again from the dead, and they still are asking him if he's going to be a vending machine king. Are you going to start the kingdom and give it back to us? This is the thing that the Jewish people were waiting around a long time for. The Old Testament prophesied repeatedly that God would someday set up a king, someday send an eternal king to establish an eternal kingdom, and that kingdom would last forever. And here are the Israelites, and they are living under Roman government rule. So in other words, they don't have a king reigning over them. They don't have an Israelite king reigning over an Israelite kingdom. And they thought that the Old Testament prophecies were all about them. But here's the funny thing about kingdoms. Kingdoms belong to the king. Kingdoms don't belong to the subjects. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a totally wrong question. Are you going to start a kingdom of your own? Is a better question. Notice how Jesus just bypasses the question completely. In fact, he doesn't have enough time to answer this question. Instead, he remembers, I'm certain, that just a few weeks before this question, he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, which was the way the king was supposed to enter Jerusalem. That's Palm Sunday. That's the thing we celebrate today. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem riding on a donkey because that's the way kings are supposed to come in. And when he gets there, he doesn't establish a kingdom. Instead, he goes right to the temple and he kicks out all the Jewish people so that the Gentile people can have a place to pray. Now, that doesn't sound like an Israel king. That doesn't sound like a Jewish king. And Jesus has been rejecting the Israel king his entire ministry. So when they ask him this question, he blows it off. 
Look at how he responds to this. Verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's just a blow off. I'm not even going to talk about times and dates with you. Instead, he says, you will, receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. I almost get the picture that Jesus is like, hang on a second, guys. I don't have time to answer that question about the kingdom because I'm getting ready to go here. But you need to know the Holy Spirit's going to come and get on you and he's going to come on you in power and you're going to be able to this is in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, swoosh, and he's gone. I'm not sure if it actually happened that immediately, but I feel like it could have been that intense because I picture Jesus as saying these words to his followers, knowing these are the last things he's going to say before he levitates off the planet. And anytime you hear someone tell you something and then they shoot up like a rocket from the earth under their own power, you pay attention to what they just said. You're like, with the other 12 guys, you're like, did you get that? Yeah, I got it. Let's write that one down because that one was key. Anyway, Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you about the kingdom. Why? It's the thing these people have been waiting for. Jesus says, no, you're waiting for the wrong thing. I want you to wait for the Spirit If you're taking notes at home, write that down. Jesus said, wait for the Spirit. But if you've been paying attention to what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks, you've heard the story that in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came, and they began to speak with other languages that they had never learned. And then you learned that Acts chapter 3 and 4, they began to develop this self-sacrificial life together as a church family, and miracles were being done. And then you learned in chapter 5, That when someone broke that family, then the miracles got even stronger. And then you learned in chapter 6 that they were able to deal with difficult circumstances. And then 7 and 8, you learned that when someone was martyred for their faith, the church just continued to spread. And then you looked at chapter 9, and it shows us that there's a man who was killing Christians who got completely transformed and started to preach as one. And then in chapter 10, the message makes it to the Gentiles. And what you've seen so far in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit did come. The Holy Spirit did show up. Jesus said, wait for him, and he came. Jesus said, wait for him, and then he came. So the one command that Jesus told his followers to wait for happening has already happened. It's a past tense thing. Well, what about the kingdom? That still hasn't come. Jesus, are we, are we supposed to not expect the kingdom? Are we, are we supposed to just forget the kingdom? And I, I think this is what Jesus might say. I think Jesus would say, your problem is that you're expecting your kingdom. And I don't want you to expect your kingdom. I want you to expect my kingdom. Jesus says, I want you to wait for the Father's kingdom to arrive in me. He's not talking about the thing that you're looking for, the thing that you're waiting for, the specific aspect of Jesus's return that you're looking for. He's talking about his return. I want to take you to a passage where Jesus actually tells his followers that he's going to leave and come back. It's in John chapter 14. It says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is speaking. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, Jesus says, I'm leaving and then I'm coming back. And in between, you're going to have to wait. I'm leaving to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving to prepare the kingdom of God. I'm leaving to prepare this um, mansion of God, this kingdom of God, the Father's kingdom. I'm leaving to prepare it. And then I'm going to come back to bring you there. Jesus says, wait for the kingdom. That's the next thing we're supposed to wait for. In fact, the New Testament is replete with examples of people talking about how hard it is to wait for the kingdom to come. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, we groan as we wait for the glorious appearing of Jesus. In Titus, it says this, Titus chapter 2 verse 13, it says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Titus was one of the last letters that Paul wrote. He wrote it to a guy named Titus. And in the last, one of the last letters that Paul writes, he says, we are still waiting. We are still waiting. Jesus says, you have to wait for the kingdom. I'm not going to tell you about the kingdom. You're waiting for your own kingdom. I want you to wait for my father's kingdom. And we're still waiting. He promised the spirit and the spirit came. He promised the kingdom and we're still waiting. Maybe you're in a place today where you're waiting for that. Revelation twenty two twenty just says, Come, Lord Jesus, come. We're still waiting. Or are we? You see, there's another passage of Scripture, in fact, quite a lot of them, that indicates something slightly different. It's perplexing. And the only way for me to really explain it to you is to just show it to you in a vivid, hopefully, story. We're going to look at this in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 15. Go there with me. It says this. Jesus is now, oh, i got to set this up for you. Jesus is now in the room with his disciples on Passover, and he is having his final meal with them. He says this. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, right there, you got to remember, the Passover is the most important thing that happens to Jews. The most important ceremony, the most important celebration they have. Um, it's the symbol of them being freed from Egypt and the beginning of them becoming God's people. And Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. The Passover is more a symbol of the kingdom of Israel than anything else. And Jesus says, I've been eager to eat this with you because tomorrow I'm going to suffer. See, that's the part that would be perplexing right at the very beginning. What does Jesus mean by he's going to suffer? What does Jesus mean by that? And then he says, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom. Well, if you're a Jew right there, of course, what you're excited about is you're like, okay, great, Jesus. That means we eat it, and then tomorrow the kingdom comes. I'm excited for the kingdom to come. That sounds amazing, Jesus. Let's do this. But Jesus, what was that whole suffering thing? We're just going to bypass that. But they can't because Jesus keeps talking. Look what he says, verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. 
For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Again, he says, I'm not going to do something until the kingdom of God comes. What in the world? And now he's taken a cup. Now, in the Passover meal, there were a number of different cups. There were symbolic cups. Everything in the Passover meal had symbolism. And we don't exactly know how they did it in Jesus' day. We know how they do it today. But every cup had a different symbol associated with it. And so this might have been the cup of blessing. It might have been the cup of something else. But we just know Jesus took a cup and then he said these words, I'm not going to drink it again. He doesn't even give any meaning to it. He just says, I'm not going to drink it again. Until the kingdom of God comes. Great, Jesus, that means the kingdom of God is going to come before our next meal. Yay! Verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in in remembrance of me. Oh, I've heard that in church before. I've heard people talking about that in church context before. Jesus is talking about communion. That's great. I know this one. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, did you just say your body is going to be given for us? Jesus, did you just say your blood is going to be poured out for us? Jesus, I'm not sure what this means. You just were talking about the kingdom of God coming, and now you're talking about your own death. See, waiting for the resurrection is another thing they're going to have to wait for. We'll talk about that next Sunday. They only had to wait three days for that one. We'll we'll get back to that one next Sunday. But the thing that probably stood out to you as I was reading this is the fact that there were two cups. This is interesting because, see, in all of the New Testament accounts of communion, every single one of them, there's four of them. There's one in Luke, there's one in Matthew, one in Mark, and there's one in 1 Corinthians. John doesn't record this particular thing in this particular way. There are four accounts of communion in the New Testament, and in only one of them do we get two cups. In all the rest of them, we get one cup, and it happens after the bread. Jesus takes the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup. He gave it to his disciples. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. It's all over in the New Testament. We get it multiple times. It's the tradition that churches have followed throughout the centuries. In fact, it's so much the tradition that when I read Luke and you see Jesus taking a cup before the bread, it seems weird to you. No church that I know does two cups. No church does a cup before the bread and then something after the bread. In fact, our church, we just do both of them together usually. We take bread and we dip it in the grape juice. We're not doing that today because you're at home and it's maybe a little more sanitary to do individual cups. But anyway, the idea is no church does the cup before. So what is Luke talking about? Some people might be asking the question, well, maybe what Luke is doing here is he's just wrong. All the other gospels are giving us the right story, and Paul is quoting for us the right story, and Luke is giving us something that's not exactly accurate. Well, as a matter of fact, I think it's the other way around. Not accuracy so much. I think it's the other way around when it comes to detail. You see, there is bread, and there is a cup after the bread. Luke just adds one more detail. 
he adds the detail of the cup that comes first. Because see, Luke's book is all about the detail. Luke's book is all about getting each individual aspect of the historical detail accurate. Matthew has a different agenda. He's trying to help people understand that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Mark has a different agenda. He's trying to get people to understand that Jesus has started a brand new thing and the whole world is different. But here in Luke, we get the idea that Luke is just trying to get all the facts laid out. He's like the Joe Friday, if you're old enough to know what that reference is. He's like the Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am. He's just laying it all down. And in Luke, we get an extra cup. So let me see. I'll explain it to you how I think the evening was working. They all get together. Jesus washes their feet. It's now dinner time. They're having their different symbolic aspects of the meal. They're having a cup. They're having some bread. They're having these herbs. They're having some other parts of the meal. And then Jesus comes to one of the cups. I'm not sure exactly which one it is, but maybe it's the one before the end. And he, t- he takes this cup. He picks it up. He holds it up to him. And he says, this cup, I want you to drink from it with me because I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until my father's kingdom comes. And then they all drink. And then the next part of the meal comes and there's bread. He takes it. He breaks it. He prays for it. And he passes out and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. And that shakes them all up. They're like, what is happening here? Jesus is now talking about his death. He mentioned suffering. Now he's talking about his, his body being broken, being given for us. We don't understand that. And then Jesus picks up another cup, probably the cup at the end of the meal that was called the cup of the kingdom, the cup that no one ever actually drank from and Jesus picks it up and he says to them and this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I don't know if he actually poured it out but wouldn't that be a vivid picture if he actually did it at that moment because the first cup he said I will not drink again and the very next cup he picks up he uses this language of being poured out Maybe all the other guys drank from their cups, but Jesus poured his out. If he didn't pour it out, at least one of the things that we know he did is he put it back down. Because Jesus said, I'm not going to drink of this fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And then he picks up a cup, he holds the cup, and then whether he pours it out or doesn't drink it, the symbol is obvious, isn't it? We have to wait We have to wait. Maybe that's a detail of the communion story you've never heard before. But there's a detail to the communion story that I never saw until last week. I want to share this with you. Last week, we were looking at Acts chapter 10, and there was a tiny detail in there that I had never paid attention to. In fact, it only showed up on my radar as I was preparing for this message this week. And then all of a sudden, what showed up last week, the detail that I was like, I've never seen or paid attention to that before, struck a chord. Let me show you what Peter said in Acts chapter 10. We saw it last week when he is describing the resurrection of Jesus. Peter says, Jesus was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Luke is the book of details. Did you know Luke also wrote the book of Acts? Acts is the book of details. Luke wrote them both. One of the details in the book of Acts is the extra cup where Jesus overtly says, I will not drink. 
And then the second cup, where he uses the metaphor of pouring out, obviously not drinking. So my question to you is, when Jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection, and he drank with them, what was he saying? Now, I know some people are like, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is talking about the cup of the vine. He's talking about wine. He's talking, he's not going to drink wine again until the new kingdom. And so after Jesus' resurrection, when he ate and drank with the people, he was just drinking water. It wasn't, wasn't really wine. Well, you're forgetting what they drank back then. Every single reference to drinking in the New Testament is actually wine, except for one when Paul tells Timothy, stop drinking water and start drinking some more wine because the wine is healthier for you. Nearly every reference to drinking in the New Testament is wine. That's why the Pharisees accused Jesus of drinking. No one would have accused Jesus of drinking if it was just water. And so here's the deal. When it can't be about wine. Jesus can't be saying, I'm not going to drink wine again. And then later on, he only drinks water. Maybe Jesus was just talking about the Passover meal. I'm only going to share the Passover meal with you in my father's kingdom. And to be sure, when Jesus comes back again in the future, there's going to be this this celebration. There's going to be this feast in the future. We're going to be sitting in the future with this feast, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to think that's a wonderful thing. And I have always in my life thought that this reference in communion was the reference to the coming eventual kingdom. It's called the bridal feast of the lamb. I've always been taught that this was about that. But Jesus drank with his disciples after he rose. In other words, I think there's only one way you can interpret this. As far as Jesus is concerned, the kingdom has already come. When he rises from the dead... The kingdom has come, and he can now eat and drink with his followers like he said he would. The kingdom has already come. But has it? See, repeatedly throughout the New Testament, we see time and time again the writers pointing us to the future day when, the, when Jesus is going to return for real. When the dead in Christ will be raised, when all of us who are still alive will be caught up to meet him in the air, when he will establish his kingdom, when old things will pass away, when sicknesses are gone, when coronavirus is dead, when death is dead, there is a future day when Jesus is going to come back and all of the New Testament writers are pointing us to that day. Every one of them points us to the day that Jesus comes back. In fact, Jesus himself said, if I come back, I will take you to be with me. But just a few weeks later, he swooshes off the planet without taking them. So even though Jesus is drinking the cup of the kingdom after his resurrection, still the kingdom hasn't fully come. It has come, but also not yet. And this is one of the most perplexing parts about being a follower of Jesus. We are the people who live in the midst of a realized promise and a future hope. We are the people who live in the in-between. We are the people who live in the middle. We are the people who are still waiting and still are not. I want to ask you a couple questions. What are you waiting for? Perhaps some of you today are waiting 
for the Holy Spirit to finally show up in your life. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, they waited and he came. But maybe you haven't experienced it. And maybe for you, you're saying, listen, I just want to have the Holy Spirit be at work in my life too. And you're waiting for him. I want to tell you the promise has already been fulfilled. The only thing you have to do is receive it. Today's your day. Today's your day to say, Jesus, would you just fill my heart? Would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? Would you give me your Holy Spirit as you promised in your word and allow me to walk completely with him? Listen, if you have been waiting for the Holy Spirit because you've been expecting him to do something in your life, you've been expecting him to show up in your life and he hasn't shown up, let me give you a little hint. If the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up in your life the way you want, it's because he has shown up the way you need. If he hasn't shown up the way you want him to, it's because he has shown up the way you need him to. You're just looking in the place where you want to find him rather than the place where he needs to reveal himself. Today's your day. Receive and say, open my eyes, Spirit, to see you in your word, to see Jesus, and to know that you're with me. Give me that faith. Today, maybe you're waiting for something else. Maybe you're waiting for that future day because you're waiting for something in the future kingdom. You're waiting for the resurrection so that you can be reunited with a loved one. You're waiting for that coming day when sickness is wiped away because you yourself are sick and you can't wait until the sickness has been relieved from your body. Maybe you're waiting for a friend of yours to finally give their heart to Jesus so that you can welcome them in to the kingdom too. Maybe there's something in the future kingdom that you are waiting for. You're not waiting for the kingdom. You're not waiting for the king himself self. You're waiting for something in the future kingdom. And listen, that's fine to wait for something like that. But I want to let you know that the kingdom, large parts of it have actually already arrived, namely Jesus. He has come back and he has given you his spirit. But maybe this will help you answer your question. I do want to help you embrace the already. I want to help you anticipate the not yet, but maybe our question needs to be different. What is God waiting for? Let me take you to a passage that gives us the answer. 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Maybe you've experienced one of those scoffers. Maybe you've experienced yourself even wondering that question. Where is this coming? He promised. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everything, everyone to come to repentance. Keep going, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. I don't know what you're waiting for, but one of the things you might be waiting for is the return of Jesus. And I want to remind you that 
when Jesus returns, all of this stuff goes. Maybe you're waiting for the coronavirus thing to pass by so that you can get all this stuff back. You can get your time, your convenience. You can get your, your fear to dissipate. Whatever it is. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the king? Because when he comes back, everything's gone. So what is he waiting for? Why hasn't he come back yet? Well, the answer was right there. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is it. God is waiting for more people to be saved. God is waiting for more people to be saved. If he hasn't come back yet, if Jesus hasn't come back yet, it is because he is waiting for more people to be saved. That's it. God has a quota. God has a quota. His hopeful quota is everyone. His actual quota is a number we don't know. We don't know what his actual number is. We just know that he is waiting for more people to be saved. And so the question is for me, what do I do in the midst? How do I live in the midst of this world where I am waiting for my blessing and I'm waiting for my benefit and God is waiting for more people to be saved? Here is the bottom line. Peter says, you actively live like a Christian. Because as you are actively living like a Christian, even though you are waiting, you are speeding the coming of Jesus. You are accelerating his return. And so the more active we are in making more followers of Jesus, the more active we are in sharing our faith, the more confident we can be in our future hope. Let me encourage you. The way we wait And what we wait for is that we are people who actively wait with a confident hope. And our activity in the midst of our waiting is what we need to keep doing. See, there's passive waiting. Passive waiting is when I'm sitting in the waiting room, waiting for the doctor to finally show up, the nurse to open the door and say, Jeff, actively waiting actively waiting, well, that's the kind of thing that we do between freshman year and graduation. Active waiting is all the work that we do knowing that that day is coming. And so we're investing, investing our energies and our resources in what can be done. I want to encourage you. The day is coming. Jesus is coming. And so we live in a kingdom that has already arrived and a kingdom that has not yet arrived. And the only difference between the two of those two places is that between now and then, someone else needs to come in. This week, I want to ask you to invite people to join us for our Easter live stream. It is going to be fantastically different than any church experience you've ever experienced before. And I can say that with confidence because even though, even though this Sunday experience is already different than any church experience people generally have had before, next Sunday is going to be different. Even if you were in the live studio audience, it would be different than any church experience you've ever had before. And so I want to invite you to invite other people people to join us for our live stream next week to experience an Easter like you've never experienced before. But right now, I want to invite you to experience a Jesus 
like you've never experienced before. We're going to share communion. And as we do, I want to give you one thought. When we eat the bread, this is Jesus saying, my body is broken for you. And when we drink the cup, we only have one cup. Do you know why we only have one cup? It's because the first cup was Jesus' last cup. And the cup after the bread is Jesus' first cup after resurrection. We only have one cup as part of our communion. And the Christian church has throughout the centuries only had one cup. Because we've only needed one. There hasn't been a cup to end. There's just been the cup to begin. So we receive this bread and this grape juice, wine, whatever you're doing. We receive this and we receive Jesus. And in the process, we are the people who recognize that communion is the proclamation of a confident hope, a hope that the kingdom has come and it still is coming. Communion is that proclamation and so is inviting our friends. If you are ready to participate in communion with us, let me pray for us. Then I'm going to break my piece of bread and eat some. I'm going to drink my grape juice, and then I will pray again for us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we recognize that you are the God who has given us so much. The kingdom has come, and the kingdom is still yet to come. Lord, we recognize that we are the people of the middle we are the people who remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We are the people who look forward to his coming again. And we are people who live in that place in between. So Father, I ask today that in this place, in all of our homes, you would confirm to us that we are your children. Lord, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who has not yet made that commitment to follow Jesus, to receive his spirit, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who needs to make that decision, I pray that they would do so. And that today would be a moment for them to say, Jesus, I belong to you. Jesus, I belong to you. Lord, we receive you all over again. And we thank you for being so good to us. Enter into our lives afresh and anew, we pray. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. We eat it together in remembrance of him. And after the dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant made possible in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. We drink together. Let's pray. Lord, the disciples had no idea on that night 
that in three days they would see a risen Savior and share a meal with him again. Lord, the disciples had no idea on that night that in 24 hours they would see a crucified Savior buried in a tomb. Lord, no one in the midst of the waiting knows how you're going to bring about the end. And those disciples so many years ago could not have predicted that there would be a day when we wouldn't even be allowed to be in a room together. But Lord, you are the God who does all things in its proper time. You have given us this amazing opportunity to use technology, to be together even when we're not. And so as the body of Christ decentralized, would you use us for your kingdom's purpose in this world? The kingdom that has already come and is still not yet. Would you use us to bring your kingdom to the people in this world who need it, the people you are still waiting for, the people who still need to come in? And Father, we pray for this church, for all the churches around this city, our country, and around the world. Lord, would you do your work? Would you accelerate the gospel? Would you bring many, many more people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his salvation? And then would you return Jesus so that we can be reunified with our maker in the way that you have designed us to be. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your gift to us. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your sacrifice. We receive it all over again. And we thank you for saving us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in the mighty and powerful name of the Savior, Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. Amen. We'll see you here next week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.